You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. So today I did want very desperately to get to a question that I received. I don't want to get into the exact question, but um, it's a question that relates to um, the benefits of having an elite quarterback as opposed to an elite defense and it's something I've been mulling over for a long time because it really is a pretty interesting question as far as benefit to the team what what is better and it, it's it's really hard to come up with an answer but then it kind of got me thinking beyond that okay so we come to a conclusion about that how do we look at the NFC North with that information because we've got some I don't, I don't want to say elite but let's just look at it as a sliding scale you've got a sliding scale from quarterback, which you could say, I mean, let's just say for instance, and some people aren't going to like this, but Aaron Rodgers is the elite quarterback in the group. Then I would say, honestly, Cousins would be next, as much as he's sort of a laughing stock now. I do think he's probably the second most talented quarterback, debatably for sure. Number three, I would put Stafford. I think Stafford is very talented, but I, I just don't know, because it's it's... It's not just like arm talent and stuff either. You got to look at, as much as I hate winning as a quarterback stat, sometimes it just isn't working, you know? You look at guys like Dalton. The guy's shown flashes. I remember I picked him up in, in fantasy one year. I don't remember what year it was. As a flyer, I ended up playing him all year over Aaron Rodgers. Probably was 2015. <laughs> I don't know, but it just, you know, you see the flash as a brilliance, especially if you can pair him with a really good wide receiver and, and, you know, obviously whatever. And then fourth, I would put Trubisky. And no, I'm not being bitter. They're all NFC North quarterbacks. There's no reason for me to be more bitter toward one than the other. I just don't really like him. And this is coming from somebody who said, I really like him. I just don't think he's shown very much. I think the upside flashes have been very little. I think a lot of the success is because they've dumbed everything down there's there's a scheme that's very easy to work with and everything just kind of you know you do the simple thing and then something magnificent happens after the fact so that's one question but then you have to look long term let's say you have to look at quarterbacks and you have to invest in one over the next three years what if you have to do it over the next five years well cousins is probably going to be gone in five years he's only signed i think a three-year contract and one of those years is done so if you're investing in a team based on the quarterback, who do you want more? I would almost maybe put Trubisky at the top, but it's a, it's a high risk because I don't know if he's going to get any better. And if he doesn't, I don't care how long he's going to be in the NFL. He's no good. But there's still that potential. He took a little bit of a step, I believe, this year as opposed to last year. So I don't know. Maybe would it be Rodgers, then Trubisky, then I don't, then Stafford, then Cousins? I don't know. Then we got to talk about defense. <laughs> Same situation. Which defense? Well, obviously Bears are number one. Vikings are number two. I I suppose it would be Packers number three and Lions number four because the Lions defense is just really in a bad spot right now. I mean, they don't have pass rushers either. They also don't have corners, and they also don't have linebackers, and they also, well, I think they got Slay, who's not that good, but at times he's kind of good. They, they just don't have a defense. 
Okay, what about long term? Same question. What's the cap situation? How much trust do you put in it? You know, are the Vikings really this bad or are they about to bounce back? Are the, are the Bears really this good or are they about to fall off? Is Vic Fangio about to get hired away? Are they going to lose some talent? Are the Vikings going to be losing some talent? If you're going to invest in a team, which team are you going to invest in based on the quarterback and based on the, the defense? And what's the value of each of those things? Are some more valuable today as opposed to tomorrow? I think defense is probably a little more today and quarterbacks you can look a little bit more long term. The only final piece that I would look at if I was to invest in a team is um, capital, which is to say the cap, which is something that you can look at now as well as long term, which is going to be a deep dive. And tell, believe me, I want to do that dive. Because when I started thinking about this question, it's like I'm not just going to throw out a random answer. This is actually very interesting. I have to invest in a team in the NFC North in 2019. I have to do it in you know, three years, and i got to do it in five years. Because after a, after a while, it just becomes kind of silly. I mean, even in two years, who knows what's going to happen. But man, oh man. This is, a, this is a research assignment that I appreciate. But outside of the cap, then, you have to look at the draft. So as far as the cap, just off the top of my head, I think it would be Packers, then Lions, then Bears, then Vikings. And that's sort of short term. I think that's pretty much just what 2019 looks like. Not that any of these teams are doomed, but I think the Vikings are the one team that's probably going to have to say goodbye to some people because of the cap. You know, I mentioned Sheldon Richardson. They're, they're not, they, they've got, I think they have like $7 million available to start before free agency. Sheldon Richardson was on a one-year deal worth $8 million. Now, again, they can free up space. I was looking at their team. There's people that they could cut. There's always people you can restructure, but it's still, it's one of those things where you're just trying to stay above water. You're not going to go sign an eight, nine, ten million dollar guys on top of everything, because then you got to cut guys and restructure guys just for one guy. So I think it's one of those things. If you really want Sheldon Richardson back, okay, you can maybe move some money around and make that happen, but that's kind of it. Bears are kind of similar. They're not in a really bad spot. They don't have a ton of really talent. There's a couple people that are kind of you, you worry about, but no real big pieces. Khalil Mack, the, the entire secondary, I think with the exception of Adrian Amos, but they, I think they have the money to re-sign him if they wanted to, which I think they would. I mean, that, that whole defense is basically coming back next year, to the best of my knowledge. Then you have the Lions and the Packers, who are basically, they have plenty of money to play with to be able to go out and play. They don't have, like, New York Jets money, but I think the Lions have, like, 30 million, Packers have, like, 40 million. So that's that situation. And then finally, beyond that and beyond looking at, you know, 2020, 2021 with the cap, there's the draft. Obviously, we don't know anything beyond 2019, but if we look at the draft and we had to invest in a team based on draft capital, Packers would be number one. The Lions are very closely behind, and you can actually quantify this based on the actual value of each of the draft picks. So right now the Lions are, are drafting higher. Lions have the fifth overall pick. The Packers have the 14th overall pick. The Packers still have more draft value than the Lions. The Packers have the fifth highest amount of draft capital with the 14th, 32nd, 46th, 78th, 110th, 111th, 142nd, 174th, 184th, and 206th. So the Packers have the fifth best draft in the NFL. Lions are sixth. The Vikings are 24th because they have the 21st pick, 53rd pick, 85th, 117th, and 181st. The Bears are dead last. They don't have a first. They don't have a second. They pick 91st, 124th, 155th, and 219th. 
So it's interesting to look at this. And again, sometimes, you know, I, I get away from the emotional stuff. It's why I just completely disconnected and said, ah, let's lose to the Jets. I don't care. I like looking at this as an investor, you know, Shark Tank style or whatever, and saying you got four companies here you have to invest in. Who do you want? Assuming the Super Bowl is the goal. So anyways, very, very excited to dig into all that. Those, that's sort of the criteria that I set for myself. Unfortunately, what happened is <laughs> there was a lot of news that broke yesterday, and we have to talk about it. So that's just a preview. I don't know if I'm going to do that tomorrow or what. I'm not even sure I can get all that information figured out in a day, but I'm going to try to maybe have that for tomorrow. I know we got to start talking about the Lions, but uh, maybe I just got to... You know what? Maybe I'll just make that like a legit research assignment and save it for next week because we do have other stuff to talk about, and I want to put in a good amount of time on that question. So anyways, thank you, Kevin from Detroit. Sorry I sort of hijacked your very simplistic question and turned it into something ridiculous and massive, but um, anyways, thanks for that. I think, see, this is why I kind of like questions. I, I always was thinking I don't really want questions because I want to be able to go down my own path, but sometimes I don't really know which path to go down. I need a little prompting, and then it's like, whoa, look at that! That looks cool down there. Go check it out. And then I just go off the path and go running through the woods and get, you know, bit by a snake or something. I don't know, it's probably not the right decision anyways though uh patreon and uh donation thing and uh, packernet.com and uh nfl big board facebook group party time i overslept so we're going to condense it a bit but uh, links for everything awesome is in the description if you'd like to ask a question the phone number is in the group in the group goodness gracious it's in the 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 thing the thing in the, the description oh where's my coffee all right we're better now so, first things first, Kenny Clark was officially placed on IR, and um, as a compensation, we went out and picked up Evan Bayless. Evan Bayless was a 2017 undrafted free agent by the Houston Texans. He played at Oregon. Oregon. I still don't, I don't even know how I say it. I used to get upset when people said it wrong. I don't even remember what wrong is anymore. Oregon just feels labored. I feel like that's what I used to say, and now I just feel like it's dumb. I think we're going to try Oregon feels better. 6'6", 245, he's not a very good football player. Welcome to the team, Evan. Should probably check if they're Packer fans from now on. That's my new thing before I go on saying they're not good football players because then I end up feeling bad and wanting to buy their jersey. Capri Bibbs, what's up? Speaking of IR and injury reports and whatnot, um, let's talk about the Green Bay Packers who continue to grow this list of uh, injured people. Aaron Rodgers is still listed as full. I don't know why he's even on here anymore. Uh, Jake Kumaro, full participant. With his hand injury. Limited participation, folks. We have Kentrell Bryce with an ankle injury. Brian Balaga with his knee situation. Um, Lucas Patrick has an abdomen injury, was limited. And Lane Taylor also limited with a knee injury. Finally, the did not participates for Wednesday. Devontae Adams, Jair Alexander, David Bakhtiari, Randall Cobb, Jimmy Graham, Clay Matthews, Jason Spriggs, Equinamia St. Brown, why? All I asked was for no serious injuries. Now, granted, I don't think any of these are super serious as far as 2019, but I'm just scared because that injury gnome is going around poking at all the wrong people. He's messing with both of our tackles. He's got Jair. He got Devontae. He got Cobb and Jimmy and Matthews. And, and I mean, Rogers is on the list. It's everybody I don't want to see on this list is on this list. It's just one more game. Please, folks, please, please don't let these guys get hurt. Uh, looking at the Detroit Lions, they actually do have some people on here, which is unlike some of our other people that we've been playing. Uh, limited participation, Jamal Agnew and uh, LeGarrette Blunt. 
nobody cares. Full participation, Matthew Stafford, because everybody, that's a cool thing to do, I guess, this time of year, is to put your quarterback on there and say full participation. The did not participates, Quandre Diggs, Kenny Galladay, Damon Harrison, Ashawn Robinson, um, Deshaun Shedd, and Luke Wilson. They got some pretty big names on that list as well. We'll be monitoring this as the days go on to see who's practicing and who's not, but uh, both teams got some pretty big folks on the list. But anyways, finally, we need to talk about this head coaching search a little bit. Now, I told you before this process started not to freak out when you started hearing names because there's a lot of, there's going to be, first of all, a lot of names. Second of all, there's a lot of reasons you interview head coaches, not all of which are necessarily because you think things are, you know, like you're actually trying to hire this person. I mentioned that uh, Chris Landry had talked about that pretty extensively, about the reasons why, and, and, and really it's it's sort of a fact-finding um, endeavor. It's one of the perks of hiring a new head coach. It's not just that you get to find a new head coach, but you have an excuse to bring some of the brightest minds in the NFL into your organization, and you get to ask them questions. Ask them questions about their thoughts on your team, on uh, you know how they structured their team, and you know, whatever you want to do, really. I mean, there's legalities involved, but I don't think the federal government is all that concerned about prying too much about how you would, you know, how did you do this back? Remember that one time you did this to us? What's up with that, man? Why you got to knock us out of the playoffs? Not saying they did, but I'm just saying that's that could be a question. Just call them up just to make them feel bad. Like, hey, man, remember that one time you knocked us out of the playoffs? That was hilarious, wasn't it? Then remember that one time you wanted a job here, and I laughed at you and I told you to leave? That was hilarious. That could be a reason. I don't think that's ever been a reason, but we could add that to the list of things to do if we run out of candidates, especially this time of year. There's not that many people out there. Call up people that don't want to interview for the job and just start talking to them. You know, call it an interview. You could also call it harassment. I, don't, I mean, whatever it is, you, you could. it's kind of a free-for-all. But the fact is, at this point in time... There's not a lot of people that you can interview because most people that you're interested in, whether it be college or pros, are busy. You also, I don't think, are even allowed to interview people in the NFL at this point in time. Could be wrong about that, but that's my understanding. So there's only going to be a handful of coaches that are currently unemployed that are also looking to be head coaches that would be interested in being a head coach of the Green Bay Packers. So you, why not? What else are you doing with your life? So again, just, uh, just don't worry about it. With that said, though, let's kind of take it seriously and take a look at uh, who these fine, reputable gentlemen are. So first of all, if I haven't said their names yet, although I'm assuming you know who I'm talking about, it's Chuck Pagano and Jim Caldwell. Uh, Jim Caldwell is actually a Beloit, Wisconsin native. He's 63, so he doesn't check that box necessarily. But he is an offensive-minded head coach, so that's kind of cool. He was the... uh, Let's see, geez louise, wide receivers coach at Southern Illinois, offensive assistant Northwestern, wide receivers coach at Colorado, uh, at Louisville, and at Penn State. He was then the quarterbacks coach at Penn State, quarterbacks coach slash passing game coordinator at Penn State, and then became the head coach at Wake Forest. He went from there, took the leap to quarterbacks coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in 2001, immediately gets hired as the assistant head coach slash quarterbacks coach of the Indianapolis Colts. So pretty quickly rising star. I just went from wide receivers to quarterbacks to coordinator to head coach. Then he goes to the NFL, goes back to quarterbacks, 
after one year gets assistant head coach slash quarterbacks, which I'm assuming is just a title that gives you a raise and and kind of makes you a little more notable. But it was a way for the Colts to hire him as a quarterbacks coach, right? Like we want him to be our quarterback coach, but we don't really want to, you know, make him something else. We want him to be the quarterbacks coach. So we'll give him a hyphenated cool name and uh, give him a little bit more money, and there you go. So he jumps in and is the quarterbacks coach for Mr. Peyton Manning. The Colts the year prior with, uh, what is his name, Huffnagel? Yeah, John Huffnagel was the quarterback's coach. But they went 6-10 and 10 that year, so that's kind of one of those we got to start turning over some staff kind of deals. And Peyton Manning's stats kind of went up a little bit the next year. Team goes 10-6, and six, so everybody's happy. Eventually, in 2009, he takes over for the Colts as the head coach. Took over for the, the great and powerful Mr. Tony Dungy. As you uh, probably remember, Tony didn't leave... Uh, because he was fired or anything like that. There were other issues going on. But essentially it means he left the team on a high note, which is pretty rare. The uh, Colts were 12-4 in 2008, and then in 2009 when Jim Caldwell took over, they went 14-2. That was the year they they, uh, actually went to the Super Bowl but lost to the New Orleans Saints 31-17. So that's, I mean, it really is impressive. On one hand, you look at it and you say, okay, well, you know, Tony Dungy left it in pretty good hands, but the fact of the matter is Jim Caldwell came in. It's his first year as a head coach. You would expect it to kind of regress a little bit. They actually got better, and he took him to the Super Bowl in his first year. It's so crazy when you look at this stuff how much overlap there is and how paths cross. Um, his offensive assistant was Jim Bob Cooter. His uh, other offensive assistant was Frank Reich. It's crazy to look at that. Not that I have a ton of respect for Mr. Jim Bob Cooter, but, yeah, just kind of cool. Also didn't really know about the Frank Reich ties to Indianapolis, so it's pretty cool. But anyways, as you would expect, things start to, be, you know, start to decline a bit. Uh, 2010, they go 10-6, and six, get eliminated from the playoffs the very first uh, round. Obviously, 2010 is when the Giants won. The first team they played that year in the playoffs was the Giants. 2011, they lose Manning, had Curtis Painter who went 0-8. They had Dan Orlovsky, who played and, and had a 2-3 and record. Then they had Kerry Collins come in and play three games, and he went 0-3. So the only quarterback to come in and win any games was Dan Orlovsky, who won two games. They went 2-14 and that year. He gets fired. Is it fair? Probably not. But guess what happens after that? They hire Mr. Chuck Pagano. Chuck Pagano comes in with Andrew Luck and T.Y. Hilton and pretty much this whole uh, deal. They got Reggie Wayne. You know, he's still there. Kobe Fleener. I mean, this was this was a pretty solid offense. You got... T.Y. from the new school, you still had some of the old school there. Well, he takes this team that has pretty good bones, add in a really good quarterback, they go 11-5. and Get right back into the playoffs, they lose to the Baltimore Ravens. Bruce Arians was the offensive coordinator, by the way. 2013, Chuck Pagano go 11-5 and again. This time they actually beat the Kansas City Chiefs in the wild card, but lose immediately to the New England Patriots. That's always a tough one to get over. <laughs> 2014, once again, they go 11-5. and This time they win two playoff games, beating the Bengals, beating the Broncos, and once again, losing to the Patriots. 2015, they end up going 8-8, eight and eight, but this is one of the years uh, Andrew Luck ends up getting hurt. He only played seven games, but in those seven games, he went 2-5. and five. Matt Hasselbeck played that year. He went 5-3. and three. Also, Josh Freeman played a game, went 1-0. and oh. So the worst quarterback that year was Andrew Luck. I don't know if he was playing hurt or what the situation was. 55% completion record, not very good, but the team goes 8-8. Eight and eight. Obviously, they missed the playoffs. 2016, they give him another shot. Andrew Luck plays 15 games this year, 
But again, not very good. He goes 8-7. and seven. Scott Tolzien plays a game. He goes 0-1. Oh the team goes 8-8 eight eight again. They actually never won back-to-back games that entire year. The, the record looks a lot like the Packers this year. Loss, loss, win, loss, win, loss, win, loss, win. By week, win, loss, win, loss, win, loss, win. I mean, it's incredible. <laughs> it's, I mean, maybe you can call two wins in a row if you don't count the bye week, but it's literally outside of the two losses to start the season. It's just win, loss, 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 win, loss. In 2017, they, they keep their faith in their guy. They've been hiring and firing coordinators like crazy. They're trying to blame everybody else but Mr. Chuck Pagano. Obviously, he's got a great record. Things have gone well. He brought us very close to a Super Bowl. Unfortunately, no Andrew Luck this year. Jacoby Brissett goes 4-11. and Scott Tolzien goes 0-1. The team goes 4-12. and And that's when they decide to move on and go get Mr. Frank Reich. And that brings us to today. Now, I did it that way because their paths crossed. But to continue on with Mr. Jim Caldwell... Uh, after getting fired, he was the quarterback slash interim offensive coordinator for the Ravens. Gets promoted to offensive coordinator for the Ravens. The team did not get any better, but somehow he ends up getting the head coaching job for the Detroit Lions. In his first year, he takes the Lions um, into the playoffs, which is something that they don't see very often. The uh, Lions went, what was it, 11-5. and They get into the playoffs. They lose to the Cowboys very narrowly, 24-20. to that's always a killer, man. When, you, when you've when you got a team that's not great and you, in your first year they take you to the playoffs, it's hard to let go, and that becomes pretty obvious because after that they went 7-9, and 9-7, and 9-7, and, and then he got fired. He's been out of a job all year. Unemployed and ready to mingle. Uh, Chuck Pagano, if we actually rewind a little bit prior to uh, Indianapolis Colts, this was a, um, he's a defensive type of guy. He was defensive coordinator for the Baltimore Ravens which is actually hilarious how much these guys have intertwined because, again, where did Jim Caldwell go after the Colts? He went to the Ravens. Where did the uh, where did Chuck Pagano come from? He came from the Ravens. So they basically just swapped guys. Uh, prior to being the D.C. there, he was a secondary coach. Um, prior to that, he was defensive coordinator at North Carolina. So let, let me just start from the other way because it makes it a little easier to understand. So 1987, linebackers coach for Boise State. He did stuff before, but nobody cares. Secondary coach for East Carolina, UNLV, defensive coordinator, UNLV. Secondary linebackers coach, East Carolina, secondary coach for Miami, the Florida one, not the Ohio one. Then he jumps into the NFL. He's the secondary coach for the Cleveland Browns, does that for four years. Gets hired as the secondary coach for the Oakland Raiders, does that for two years. Jumps back into college to get that defensive coordinator job, thinking that's going to help him. Like, look, I, I got a D.C. job, man. Come on. Well, he jumps back into the NFL as a secondary coach once again. He's he's really having a hard time breaking this. <laughs> he's been basically, aside from being a defensive coordinator for one year in 2007, he has been the secondary coach since 1995 all the way until 2010. Even prior to that, he was a secondary slash linebackers coach, which how does that even make sense? I don't know, but who cares? Finally, he gets his big break in 2011 to become the defensive coordinator of the Baltimore Ravens. It's hard to beat what the Ravens were in 2010 prior to them getting there. They were third in points, tenth in yards, but he actually pulls it off. The next year when he's the defensive coordinator, they go third in points and third in yards. Dominant defense. Number one in passing touchdowns allowed. Number four in yards. Number three in net yards per attempt passing. Number two in yards per attempt rushing. Only 3.5 yards per attempt. Sixth in rushing touchdowns allowed. Second in rushing yards allowed. Pretty solid defense. And then from there, he jumps up to head coach of the Colts. So, you know, I don't know. It's it's really hard. It's hard to say because there's so much, and I keep saying this about the NFL. There's so much that goes into it. There's so many variables. I mean, how can you 
how can both of these guys be you know on the cusp of Super Bowls particularly Jim Caldwell because Packer fans when we think of Jim Caldwell it's like I would love nothing more than the Lions to hire him back but in his first year he drug that team right into the playoffs well was it him was it the players I don't know maybe he's really good but then the players just really got bad I think ultimately, and I'm, I'm still trying to form this because these are the questions I never really asked prior to this, right? Before I had a podcast, it was just Packer game on, watch Packer game, Packer win, right? Me want Packer win. That was it. I was just a, a, a robot, a caveman, I guess, or Tarzan. I don't, I don't really know what that would be, but I guess I was, I was Tarzan. So me want Packer win is all I cared about. But um, now that I'm asking... It, it, I, Obviously, it's a combination. If I had to just put my money down somewhere, I would say the players are the most important piece. But I think, okay, here's what I'll say. Here's what I talk, Remember what I talked about before as far as being emotional and how much emotion matters? Usually I say it negatively because a very emotional team will absolutely implode when things are going bad. But emotion is more just a multiplier. If you're an emotional team and you've got a lot of volatile players like the Jaguars... When you're winning, it can propel you to really high heights, to play better than you probably should, to be the best defense anybody has ever seen, to be the best cornerback anybody. And that's it's true on a team level as well as an individual level. We see volatile players play out of their mind good, but also can just completely collapse. I think coaches are similar to that. They're sort of like multipliers. Ultimately, it comes down to the players, but if you've got a team that's playing well, a good coach can kind of amplify that. A good coach can push a good team into the playoffs. A good coach can push a team into the Super Bowl. A good coach can win a team a Super Bowl. A bad coach kind of works the opposite direction. You know, they, they, they act as sort of an anchor. I shouldn't even say an anchor. It, it's, it's, again, it's, it's a multiplier. So when, when a, a good team is on the cusp and ready to go in, they're looking for that spark. They're looking for that juice. They want to they wanna hit the NAS in the car, man. Really make it go. It just don't go, though. There's nothing there. There's no extra juice. He's just kind of standing there. And I kind of feel like that was Mike McCarthy at the end of his career. You know, the, the team is what it is. I mean, it's the same as Rodgers, right? You're looking for Rodgers to kind of drag the team. You're looking for McCarthy to try to propel this team, and there's just nothing there. And all you're looking at is a pile of bodies. Guys running around a football field, and it just didn't feel like a team. It didn't feel like anything. McCarthy didn't provide that extra oomph. He didn't really do anything to push this team over the edge. He was just kind of there. And I think as far as bad coaches, when you have a bad team, he can kind of help things go really, really, really bad. right? Because a lot of it has to do with controlling the negative emotions and things of that nature. And if they can't do that, and things start to spiral out of control, things get really, really out of control. So I think one of the the hardest parts, and there's a lot that goes into it, maybe at, at some point and some level it's just a matter of, of fit, you know what I mean? Because everybody knows the information, everybody knows everything about everything, right? As far as plays and scheme and all that stuff. But it, it, it really just comes down to, you know, we, we need this kind of energy. Can you bring this kind of energy? We need this kind of a person to co- coordinate with our quarterback or to work with our quarterback, whether that's we need somebody sort of hands-off to leave him alone or we need somebody hands-on to really rein him in, whatever the case may be. But... At the same time, I think it's important to kind of analyze things from the standpoint, similar to what I did with teams prior, where I said, okay, the team is bad, but they should be worse, or the team is good, but they should be better. 
and kind of looking at that from the coaching perspective to say there's the multiplier. That's what we're looking for. Okay, so the Detroit Lions were really good in that first year. Was that the players or was that um, – well, let's just look at it. Let's let's do real quick before we end this here. Let's look at um, Chuck Pagano and Jim Caldwell using Pro Football Focus to look at their record compared to where they were. Dance party, I know. I got to get moving here, but I'm on a roll here. I got to figure this stuff out. I'm curious. What are you, my mom? Holy cow. What is going on in 2013? Was this the best year of football ever? Ten teams were graded as elite. Three teams you could probably also throw in that category, one of which was the Detroit Lions. That's kind of psycho. But interestingly enough, if you look at 2013, which is the year prior to Jim Caldwell coming on board, the Detroit Lions went 7-9. and nine. Now, strangely, there's, there's this weird little pocket. So really good teams who graded out really well did really well. The highest-graded team was the Seattle Seahawks. They went 16-3. and three. The second-highest-graded team was the Denver Broncos, 15-4. and four. Saints, 12-6. and six. Bengals, 11-6. and six. Panthers, 12-5. and five. 49ers, 14-5. and five. Patriots, 13-3. and three. Chiefs, 11-6. and six. Eagles 10 and 7. Then you have the next four best teams as far as their grade who performed really poorly. The Miami Dolphins went 8 and 8, Steelers went 8 and 8, Titans went 7 and 9, Lions went 7 and 9. Then you have other teams that graded out pretty well. You have 12 and 6 Colts, 10 and 6 Cardinals. So if I'm looking at this, I'm saying the performance should have been a lot higher for the Lions. They were the 13th highest graded team, but their record was 20th. There's a discrepancy. That tells me somebody needs a new head coach, and they went and did that. Very interestingly, (laughs) the very next year, the team actually regressed. However, they were the 10th highest graded team. So in other words, talent across the NFL just decreased because that was just a ridiculous year in 2013. So although the team didn't play as well, a lot of other teams didn't play as well either. So they ended up being the 10th highest graded team. So they were like 89 in 2013, 86 this year. But their record was 11-6, and six, which is 7th, which is to say their record was better than their performance. Not by a lot, but that's what you want from a head coach. I'm trying to decipher, is it the talent or is it the coach? Well, again, the coach is just a multiplier. Are you playing up to the level of the talent on the team, below the level of the talent of the team, or, or, or did you perform higher than the level of the talent on your team? In 2015, again, the talent of the Detroit Lions regressed. They went from 89th to 86th. Now they're at 84, and they're the 15th highest graded team. Their record, unfortunately, was 17th. So, you know, one thing I can say definitively is this is a team that was underperforming. He comes on board. They start overperforming. Now we're starting to see it regress, but we're also seeing the talent on the team regress every single year. 2016, now the Detroit Lions, as far as their talent, 22nd. They're just in a free fall. The talent on this team is just getting worse and worse. So they went from 89 to what? What did I say? 89 to 86 to 84. Now they're at 80.9. The talent just keeps falling. Their record, 14th. So they dropped down to whatever it was, 22nd, but they're the 14th best team as far as their record. Again, massive overperformance by the Detroit Lions. They're playing like a 6 and 9, or, you know, Six and ten, seven and nine football team. They end up going nine and eight. In uh, his final year, there the talent kind of bumps up a little bit. They're the they're uh, graded eighty fourth, which is kind of what they were two years prior, and they go nine and seven again. Well, basically, this is a nine and seven team playing like they're nine and seven, and it, you know a nine and seven team going nine and seven is what this was. So all things considered, you gotta based on what I'm looking at, 
the Detroit Lions did as good as they could based on the talent that they had. There were only, you know, they're, they're, well, I shouldn't say only. He was there for, what, four or five years? But two of those years, massive overperformance. One year was kind of on par, and one year was slight underperformance, but basically just lateral, right? I mean, what was it, 15th and 17th? But the only other thing that you have to consider, though, is we're looking at talent and record, but the, the an, another variable here is how much of the talent has to do with the head coach. So, for example, if you look at the 2018 Packers, the talent was ranked 14th. Okay, but what happens if the talent, like, what if what if Aaron Rodgers plays better? What are we? So if you get a head coach in there that gets Aaron Rodgers to play like peak Aaron Rodgers, suddenly the talent on this team gets a lot better. So another variable that you have to plug into things. Did he help improve the quality of the team? Well, no. They regressed almost every single year. You can blame that on the GM. You can blame that on, on the head coach. You'd have to defer to Detroit Lions fans on that one. Did you watch the team? Like the Packers right now, the, the talent is eroding, and there's no question about that. But there's also a development problem on top of it. So we can bl- blame Ted Thompson, but we also kind of have to look at Mike McCarthy and say, okay, but what are you doing with the guys he gives you? Are they just complete duds? They're dead when they get here, and there's nothing that can ever be done about it? Or are you not developing any of these players? So again, a billion different variables. I'm trying to do the best I can to weed through the information, but this is just what it is. So anyways, moving over to Chuck Pagano now pretty quickly. This stands out instantly to me. <laughs> so remember, the year prior uh, was Jim Caldwell, and they didn't have a quarterback, and they won, what What did I say, four games? Two games? They won two games, I think. So then Mr. Chuck Pagano steps up, and the team goes 11-6 and six with uh, Mr. Andrew Luck. Their 11-6 and six record has them as the ninth um, highest team, right? 9-6 and six is the ninth best record in the NFL. The talent on the team when he walked in, they were graded as the 28th best team in the NFL. Oh my goodness. This is a 4-12 and 12 team that went to the playoffs. Okay. <laughs> wow. So looking at it a little more closely, basically the defense was complete trash. Terrible defense. Maybe the worst run defense in the NFL. Um, their tackling grade was fine, but the uh, pass rush, the coverage, nothing was really there. If you look at their offense... The passing grade was not good. So Andrew Luck coming in, apparently PFF didn't really like them very much. Pass blocking was not good, which maybe is part of the reason why. I mean, remember, he had a terrible offensive line for a very long time. Him getting beat up and sacked a billion times probably doesn't change anything or help anything. But uh, the receivers are decent, and the run game was graded as, as fairly decent, probably largely because they had one of the best run blocking groups in the NFL. So run blocking offensive line, not a very good pass blocking offensive line. But that's, that's crazy. In 2013, the talent increased up to 14th, the 14th best team. Now, this is one of those things where you look at it and say, okay, the talent took a massive leap. Why? Did they draft those guys? Did they develop the guys? Remember, they already had Andrew Luck, and they got T.Y. Hilton, and they've, a lot of the pieces that you think of that would have been good in 2012 were there in 2011, or excuse me, in 2013 were there in 2012. Well, here's something to consider. Chuck Pagano, defensive-minded person. The defense in that second year took a pretty big leap. Their coverage was pretty solid. Run defense was much better. Their defense overall was graded as good. And their tackling grade was elite. And again, remember, what I say about tackling is that's about fundamentals. So you got a guy that's coming in here and whipping these guys into shape. So that is pretty impressive as well. That's something you did not see from Jim Caldwell was an improvement in the team. You kept seeing that thing deteriorate. And again, maybe that's on the GM. Maybe he just let everybody walk and it was just a nightmare and there's nothing you can do. I don't know. 
but there's there's no sign of development. This is a great sign of development. And interesting thing here too is if you're looking at this, the Colts are pretty similar to the Packers. They've got their quarterback, they've got their one wide receiver in T.Y. Hilton, they've got a couple pieces on offense, but the defense is a big letdown. I know the defense improved, and a lot of the reasons the defense wasn't working is because of A, talent, and B, uh, injuries. But still, he comes in and he fixes the defense, and they go from an 11-win team to a 12-win team. Well, their talent was graded as 14th, so you know, mediocre basically overall, but a massive improvement, but their record was 5th. So again, now we have development, but on top of development, we have massively overperforming for the second year in a row and going to the playoffs for the second year in a row. Now in 2014, we see further development. They are now basically elite, 89.5 overall. Their coverage is one of the best in the... So this is a secondary... His background is in the secondary. We're talking cornerbacks and we're talking safeties. They had one of the worst coverage units two years ago. Last year, they're pretty good. This year, they are... Let's just look at it. They are the they are fourth in coverage overall. In two years, this is the fourth best coverage unit in the NFL. They have a defensive coordinator, but something about bringing this guy on is really helping. And not surprisingly, his area of, of expertise is the biggest improvement on this team. But they are the they are graded as eighth as far as their talent. Their record third. They go thirteen and six. So again, more development and again overperforming. They're still performing higher than their their talent, and their talent is almost as high as you can get. Now, in 2015 is when things start to kind of fall apart, Um, not just with the quarterbacks as Andrew Luck goes out, but the defense massively regresses. But still, we've got now, they they drop from wherever they were to 26th. So things are starting to fall apart. Overall, they're the 26th best team in the NFL, but their record is 14th. They go 8-8. So still overperforming, even though their team is kind of just garbage. 2016 was basically the exact same situation, um, even though the Andrew Luck came back and their passing grade was just through the roof. Andrew Luck was, uh, I want to say, probably like the fourth highest graded quarterback. Their defense was just, I mean, just the worst that you can, just absolutely the worst. I mean, they were. They were the 32nd ranked defense. But still, 27th in talent. 17th as far as their record is concerned. So they overperformed every single year. 2017, his final year, is the one year in which things don't go exactly that way. So again, the talent is just not there. The the, the, the 26th highest ranked team as far as their talent. But they're the 29th team as far as their record. They go 4-12. and 12. So they're underperforming. The talent is, I don't want to say it's there because it's not there, but there's more talent than is able to produce wins and losses. Right? Can you? What can you do with the talent that you have? Is another quarterback or head coach attribute? Right? The Packers were close to winning a lot of the games that they won, but they couldn't get over that hump. You know, the Bears even like two years ago or whatever, they they had a terrible record, but in almost every single game, it came down to like a field goal. So it's a lot of little things. There's a lot of nuance. But anyways, I wanted to look at those guys. Um, probably shouldn't have spent that much time because I'm unbelievably late. But uh, just a little bit of insight into those two guys. I know we all like to poke fun and laugh, especially at Jim Caldwell, but they've, they've got some pretty good reputations, and it's, it's an unbelievably difficult question to answer who is a good coach and who is a bad coach. I mean, even just looking at the, the, the ranking, like, oh, well, this was the, you know, they went 7-9, and nine and they were garbage, and look how bad their defense was. It's like, yeah, I know, but they have football players, too. Why, you know, I mean, is it, is it his fault that they didn't win games with terrible, I mean, what if he was the coach of the Patriots? What if he was a coach of the Saints? What would have happened? Well, the answer is you don't know. Patriots maybe are an anomaly because of Bill Belichick and what he does. 
But anyways, I don't want to circle back around over all of that. But it's it's really tough. But those are their bona fides. And I think there's there's plenty of reason to believe that they've done a relatively good job. Um, the, the biggest question for me, though, is when the talent was low, how much of that had to do with the, the head coach? right? Because if, if talent is largely due to the head coach as opposed to just these are garbage football players, no matter what team they're on, no matter who their head coach is, that's going to make a big difference. But unbelievably difficult job for uh, the Green Bay Packers to look into this, try to weed through that. Again, I don't think any of these are, are very serious contenders. I think the more impressive resume was definitely Chuck Pagano, um, and just in terms of what he was able to do with that team to uh, overperform up to the end. But um, either way, it's, it's interesting. We'll be looking at these coaches as they come through. I'm just trying to help you kind of sort through and make up your own mind about these guys. But anyways, I got to bounce. I got to get out of here. You folks have yourselves a fantastical day. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye-bye.